This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Kicking off a brand new Christmas mini-series entitled, Come, Let Us Adore Him. Uh, Once you get your Bibles ready, turn if you would to the book of Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one is where we're gonna be at. Over the next uh, four weeks, we're gonna take a look at the Christmas series and what we find from the idea of worship uh, as found in the uh, Christmas story. And so I hope you'll be here every week for that. I invite a friend for you uh, to join you with that. We also, uh, today, I got one somewhere, where are they at? Our brand new Christmas invites. I had one, I don't know where it, it went. Uh, but the, um, somebody have one? Oh, there we go. Thanks, Anton. Uh, super cool Christmas invites. Uh, grab a handful of these on your way out here today. We have a, a, a rack full of them on your way out of the door. Uh, this is just an invitation to our Christmas services here at Huikala. Uh, every Sunday morning, we're going to be uh, celebrating Christmas together. Special Christmas Eve service. I invite somebody to come uh, to be your guest for that. A lot of folks are looking for something to do or somewhere to go on Christmas Eve. They just don't know where to go. And so just by giving someone an invite uh, gives them the opportunity to come and celebrate with us. Every every Christmas Eve, we have a great celebration here. It's a short service right at about an hour. Uh, we get together, we sing some songs, we hear a message from the Bible, we eat uh, copious amounts of Christmas cookies, and then we go home. Uh, so uh, come and enjoy, us, uh, enjoy that with us this Christmas Eve. Uh, also grab a handful of these on your way out here today and pass those out uh, to some folks that you think would need it this week. Matthew chapter 1 is where we find ourselves this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter number 1. The Old Testament is the story of what took place before Jesus Christ. Uh, we have the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 of God creating the entire uh, heavens and the earth uh, all the way up through the end of the uh, Old Testament. God has his people, the chosen people of Israel uh, who follow him for a while, rebel against him for a little while, and then follow him for a while and rebel against him a little while. But all throughout the Old Testament, God promises that one day there's coming someone that will set them free from their bondage, from their sins. Uh, There will be a Messiah, the promised one who will come. Uh, and to set them free from their sins. And then Matthew, we find picking up the story of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look in your Bible at the Matthew chapter one, you might have a blank page that separates the New Testament and the Old Testament. That blank page in your Bible represents 400 years that God did not speak to uh, openly any open revelation that we find in the Bible or recorded in scripture, no prophets during that period of time. God's already spoken what he's spoken in the Old Testament. He takes 400 years and doesn't speak at all, but when he speaks, he has a lot to say and it begins with the story of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people when they read the Bible, especially when they get to books like the book of Matthew chapter number one, uh, they begin to see a lot of genealogy and they get a little bit uh, discouraged or maybe they get frustrated or maybe you've even been guilty of this and just skip it all together. <gasps> Has anybody ever done that before? Raise your hand, be honest, you're in church this morning. You just skipped it. You're like, I don't know who these people are. And frankly, I don't care who these people are. Let's just get to the good part of the story, right? And you skip it. Oh man, uh, if, you, if you skip the genealogy in Matthew chapter one, you're missing some really good parts uh, because there's some really important people in there. Uh, the Old Testament begins with uh, uh, the story of creation. And then we have a man by the name of Abraham who comes along. Uh, Abraham is very old uh, in his years. And God promises to give him 
a great nation. God says, out of you, I will create a great nation. I'm gonna give you not just a child, but I'm gonna create a whole people out of you. And God establishes what's called the Abrahamic covenant with Abraham. And he promises Abraham, this is back in the book of Genesis, the very first chapter in the entire Bible. He promises to give to Abraham a land, a seed, and a blessing. Three things, land, seed, blessing. We call that the Abrahamic covenant. Now, in the Abrahamic covenant, three parts, land, seed, blessing. God promises the children of Israel that if you go into this land, which I have prepared for you, that we sometimes refer to as the promised land, he says, everywhere your foot will trot in this promised land is all yours. Just go uh, from as far as one side as you can see to the other. Wherever you go, it's automatically yours. And God promised, uh, made good on that promise to give Abraham the land. Next, God promised to bring forth a seed, a people out of him. Uh, and God uh, gave Abraham a son whose name was Isaac. And Isaac had two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And out of Jacob would come, uh, Jacob's name got changed to Israel. And out of Jacob came the children of Israel, 12 tribes that he had, who would flourish into a million plus people. So out of that came the land that they got. Secondly came the seed that was promised, a nation that would come from them. And then last part of the Abrahamic covenant was the blessing. And all throughout the Old Testament, we never see the blessing come to fruition, but we find it here in Matthew chapter one. If you take a look at the genealogy, we're not gonna take time to read it this morning, but if you see uh, Matthew chapter one, starting in verse number one, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he starts Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas, or Judah, his brethren, and his brethren. And it goes on to start from Abraham all the way up to the birth of Jesus Christ himself. Now, this is not an accident. This is getting thrown in because Matthew didn't have a lot to say or he didn't know how to start it off. God starts off the very first part of the New Testament saying, that promise that I made in the beginning of the Old Testament in Genesis I'm making good on that promise here in the very first chapter of the New Testament, being Matthew. And Jesus Christ fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. They already had the land. They already had the seed. Now comes the blessing of Jesus Christ. And Matthew wants to make sure that nobody misses it. So he starts with Abraham and traces his genealogy all the way up to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being the seed of Abraham. Now that's a really, really big deal because that tells us that God keeps his promises all the time. If God's promised it, you can guarantee you he's gonna carry it out, he's gonna do it, he's gonna make good on it because that's who God is. Now that's not even the, the part of the message we're jumping into today. That's just the introduction to where we get up to. So verse uh, one all the way through verse number 17 is the, the generations and the genealogy of how Jesus Christ came about and through his uh, bloodline. If you ever wanna do some extracurricular studies, there's three ladies that are part of that genealogy. And all three of those ladies have a phenomenal story of what God did in their life and how they got to be included in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's for another day for your own studies. But Matthew chapter one, starting verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. When he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. 
she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted as God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and he knew her not until they had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. The Christmas season is upon us. They started Christmas music before Thanksgiving ever even got the turkey on the table, man. It seems like there's a little bit of Christmas creep every year where it keeps backing up a little further. We have a moratorium on Christmas music in our house until after Thanksgiving. Uh, don't bring home any decorations to put up. Thanksgiving, we enjoy that. And then after that, we can decorate. Uh, that's fine. Uh, but it kicks off with not only Thanksgiving Day, we begin to get a little bit in the Christmas spirit. And you turn on the radio, and there's already Christmas music on there. And then there's the Black Friday, and then there's the first weekend uh, after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving then kicks off what we know is the Christmas season. Now, for those of you that don't know, today is December the 1st. It's the end of the year. I don't know how this got here this quickly, but it did. Uh, but we're it's in full swing at this point, and if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in everything uh, that the world tells us is the Christmas season. How many of you truthfully went out on Black Friday and went shopping? Raise your hand if that was you. Man, only like a handful of folks. Good for you. How many of you are embarrassed to admit it this morning? That's fine. Uh, how many of you went out on Thanksgiving night and went shopping? My hand's up for that. Went out on Thanksgiving night. Nobody on Thanksgiving night. Um, here's the thing. I, I am far too old to, to get in line at 5 a.m. to fight somebody to save $10 on toys, right? Uh, just pay the extra $10 and, and shop from home or get it from Amazon and wait for the to take three, four weeks to ship. Uh, but it's a story for a different day. But so many times people get caught up in what can I get for Christmas. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I went uh, shopping on Black Friday. I waited till the, the, the evening until everything died down a little bit. Uh, I went, did a little bit of shopping. And I got in trouble because I bought stuff for myself. Isn't that terrible? Because I didn't have a plan for anybody else. I just saw something like, ooh, I, I could use that. That's on sale. Uh, that's good for me. And I bought something for myself. And I bought something for my wife too so I wouldn't feel bad about buying something only for myself. Uh, so that's how that happens. Um, the, I... I, I uh, this has nothing to do with the message. I thought it was funny to share. Um, I, I came across an article the other day about why it's difficult to buy for men at Christmas time. And it's one of those clickbait headlines, you know, where they say it's like, you'll never believe why it's so difficult to buy for men at Christmas time, right? And it's just like, well, this is interesting, you know? And so I click on it and it's just like uh, it, shopping statistics on the first page and you click next again. And like 12 clicks in, it tells you why it's difficult to buy for men. You know why? And I already knew this because if they want something, they buy it for themselves, Hello, I, I spent 12 minutes of my time and 12 clicks on my mouse to tell me that if I want something, I just buy it. Uh, so, but Christmas is not about buying for us. Christmas really isn't necessarily about buying for other people. Christmas is about Jesus Christ. Now, we give because God gave to us. We give because God has been generous to us. Uh, we give because God has set the example for what giving looks like. Uh, but let's not uh, miss the fact that Christmas is a time to celebrate Christ's birth. And I hope you have some good Christmas traditions that involve the Bible. Uh, for us as a family, on Christmas morning, we wake the kids up. Everybody gets in the living room. Uh, we don't touch anything. We don't look at gifts. We don't shake any boxes until we sit down and we read the, the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. Uh, that's a Christmas tradition. Uh, tradition that our family has. Uh, then we open presents, we we'll let the kids play for a little while, and then the parents go back to bed. 
That's another Christmas tradition. Oh, man, that's a good one. That's probably one of my favorite Christmas traditions. Uh, but part of our Christmas tradition, we get together on Christmas Eve and we worship together with our, our church family. And we spend time together uh, singing songs about Jesus that draw our hearts uh, towards him. But the story of Christmas is really a story of giving. And over the next four weeks, we're gonna take a look at four people who worshiped God in the Christian story through their giving. And Joseph is the per- first person that we take a look at. Today, we're taking a look at lessons from the life of Joseph. This story here of Joseph and Mary, there's so much wrapped up in it. If you would take a look at verse number 18 uh, this morning, if you would. Now, this is the, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, Mary was his spouse to Joseph. In biblical times, when people would become betrothed. It was kind of like an engagement that they had, but from a legally binding perspective, this engagement uh, carried all the same legal aspects of marriage. They just had not had the official ceremony, and during the espousal period or the betrothal period, they were not allowed to have sexual relations at all. And so while Joseph and Mary, they would probably been uh, young teenagers at this time, as was uh, custom in Jewish tradition, Young teenagers here engaged to one another, not actually had the wedding ceremony, not actually been joined together yet physically in the act of marriage. Uh, But in this case here, engaged, what we would determine is an engagement, and Mary becomes pregnant. Now, verse number 18 is very clear here. It says, when his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, before they came together, speaking of they'd never been together physically in a sexual sense. So in this case here, the Bible is ultra, ultra clear that Mary is a virgin in this case here. And then before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Ghost. And so Mary is impregnated by the Holy Spirit and she's pregnant with Jesus Christ is her child. Now, this is critical for us as Christians because the virgin birth of Christ is a non-negotiable doctrine. If anybody ever says that Christ was not born of a virgin, just know this, they're not a Christian and they're not telling the truth. And this is important for us as Christians because here's the fact of the matter. If you have a dad, and you do, If you have a dad, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter five that sin came into this world by Adam, the first man in the book of Genesis. And because of that, that sin has passed upon all men and that all men are sinners. And so our sin nature is passed down from our fathers beginning at Adam, the very first man. And so if you have a dad, your dad gave you the gift of sin. Gee, thanks, dad. Now, does that mean our moms are perfect? No, because all of our moms had dads too. So because of that, every single person on planet Earth, myself, you, everybody, has inherited a sin nature from our Father. And all of us have sinned. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one, that every single one of us have broken God's law. Every single one of us have not just sinned. Sin is part of who we are. It's woven into the DNA and we couldn't stop sinning on our own if we wanted to. And that's a problem because the Bible says that our sin has separated us from God. That we're not born into this world as part of the family of God. We're actually born into the world at odds with God. We're born against God. Uh, Romans chapter five goes so far as to say that we are the enemies of God. 
So the idea that God created us all and we're all part of God's big family is not a biblical idea. The Bible says that we are born in opposition to God so that there is so much distance between us and God that God doesn't even hear us when we pray because we're his enemies. That's a problem. Because if we die at odds with God, then when we die, the Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. When you die here on planet Earth, you will stand before God one day in judgment. And the Bible says that everyone will receive what they did in their body, whether it be good or whether it be bad. That's a terrifying thought, that I'll stand before God, I'll have to give an account for my life. And the Bible says that God will open a book called the book of life. And if my name is not found in that book of life, Revelation chapter 20 says that I'll be cast into the lake of fire that burns for all of eternity, and this is the second death, Revelation 20. So not only will I die physically one day because of my sin, one day I will die and be separated from God in a place called hell. That's a real place that burns with real fire for all of eternity, and there's no second chances after I die. It's done. And the Bible says that will pay for my sin by going to hell and suffering God's wrath. That's enough payment for my sin. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell without having another alternative. And so the Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse number eight, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. I'm supposed to be punished by God, but Jesus was punished in my place. I'm supposed to be separated from God, but Jesus was separated from God in my place. And so Jesus died for, this is important, sinners. And if you're a sinner, and you are, Jesus died for you. But here's the thing, it's not a blanket automatic application to everyone's account. Oh, Jesus died for, for everyone, so now everyone's forgiven. No, 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 you have to make a choice for yourself. You have to make a decision whether or not you'll allow Jesus to pay for your sins. You have to make a decision whether or not you're truly sorry for the wrong that you've done and are willing to repent or turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. You see, I, I cannot be forgiven of my sin yet continue to stay in my sin. I cannot turn from my sin, yet continue to hang on to my sin. So the Bible says that you have to make a choice. Every single person has to make a choice for themselves. Will you accept the payment that Jesus has made for your sins, or will you pay on your own? Choice is totally up to you. I challenge you, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to pay for your sins. And the Bible says when you do that, you're no longer an enemy of God. You're now adopted into the family of God. You're not fighting against God. The Bible says that you are a son or daughter of God. You're no longer on the hook for all the wrong that you've done in your life. You're now forgiven for all the wrong that you've done in your life, and God has forgiven you and given you a home in heaven. The choice is totally up to you, though, but you gotta make the choice, and here's the, the critical part. You gotta make it before you die. When you get to heaven, God's gonna open that book and if you've accepted Christ as Savior and you've been adopted into the family of God and you've repented of your sins, God's gonna open up that book of life and he's gonna look and he's gonna say, Anthony, welcome home, son. Come on in. 
But if God cracks that book and your name's not found, the Bible says that you'll be judged for your sin and cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. There's no scale in heaven that weighs your good versus your bad. There's no way that you can ride on the coattails of somebody else. Well, my parents were good people or my, my grandma prayed a lot or my grandpa was a, a preacher. You can't ride on the coattails of anyone else. You must pay for your own sin. And friend, I couldn't pay for your sin if I wanted to. I have my own sin to pay for. No one else can pay for you. You must make a decision yourself and it's eternity that's at stake. Friends, that's why Christmas is such a big deal for us as Christians. Because God became a man for the sole purpose of paying for our sins. And it's a big deal because Jesus didn't have an earthly father. God was his, or his father. He has no earthly father. That means that Jesus had no sin nature that was inherited from his dad like you and I got. He was perfect. He was sinless. And because he never sinned, he didn't owe God a sin debt. So that allowed him to pay for ours. And friend, if Jesus' birth was just another birth of another kid in some small town in Bethlehem, you and I don't have a savior. And if you and I don't have a savior, we're on the hook for our own sins. And if we're on the hook for our own sins, there's no hope for anybody at all. If Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, we have no savior. But because he was, we have a savior alone in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's why we as Bible-believing Christians would reject uh, false doctrine like the perpetual virginity of Mary. Uh, some folks would say that Mary was continue to be a virgin and continue to have children uh, born of the Holy Spirit. We would reject that because if that were the case, then we have more sinless children who now can be saviors for the rest of mankind, but we know that that's not the case at all. Secondly, the Bible never says that Mary was a perpetual virgin. It's not in the Bible at all. We also reject any uh, extra biblical doctrine that there is as far as Mary is concerned. Mary was highly favored, the Bible says, in the fact that she got the opportunity to carry Jesus Christ. But we would reject the idea that Mary never died. We would reject the idea that Mary is the, the co-redemptor of mankind. We would reject the idea that Mary is the mother of the church or anything along those lines. She's a special lady that God used at a special time, and that's kind of the end of it. Joseph... Joseph was just a regular, average, ordinary guy. The Bible says that he was a carpenter. He was a blue-collar worker. And in biblical times, a lot of times, folks would take on the, the trade of whoever their father was. So chances are Joseph came from a long line of carpenters, guys that got their hands dirty and probably got a lot of splinters in their hands. And uh, the type of guys that when you shook their hand, they were rough and callous. He, he was just a regular guy. Mary was just a regular gal that God chose to do something supernatural through their lives. Here's what we see about Joseph, though, is we see the story here in Matthew chapter one. We see that Joseph was willing to give up his own rights. Joseph was willing to set himself aside for a moment because he recognized that he was a part of something greater than himself. If you're taking notes, and I recommend that you do, we got some notes in your, in your bulletin this morning. Write down these thoughts this morning. First of all, some lessons that we learn from the life of Joseph. First of all, we must be willing to live righteously. <clears throat> if we take a look at verse number 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Just man means that Joseph wanted to do the right thing. It means that Joseph wanted to live a life of integrity. It means if 
given the opportunity to do something shady or do the right thing, Joseph was the guy that chose to do the right thing. And you and I must make a decision that as Bible-believing Christians that we want to do the right thing. We want to live righteously. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 2, verse number 6, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous, and he is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. You see, Joseph recognized that the decisions that he was making didn't just affect himself. Joseph was laying a foundation for his future family. And he chose to do the right thing because he realized it's not just about him. He now has a wife to think of. and He wants to do the right thing as far as she's concerned. There's a child that's coming that, that doesn't have a dad and he wants to do the right thing in this case here with that as well. And he said he's a just man and he wanted to live in a righteous way. Next as we read through Verse number uh, 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Second thing we learn from Joseph is we must be willing to put other people above ourselves. It's interesting, verse number 19, some people think that when they read through this, that, that Joseph putting her away was Joseph hiding her until she had actually carried the baby to full term. That's not what it means in this case here. Joseph was planning to divorce Mary in a private way. Now, according to the law, the Levitical law, uh, the Jewish law at that time, having a child out of wedlock was punishable by, anybody want to take a guess? Stoning, death. You put to death for that. And Joseph said, I don't want Mary to die. I want to do the right thing. He's a just man. He says, she's saying that, that this child is not mine, that she was pregnant uh, of the Holy Spirit, and uh, I want to give her the benefit of the doubt. And he says, I'm going to put her away privily. I'm going to divorce her, but I'm going to divorce her in a private way. I'm not going to make an example out of her. We're going to drag her out into the city streets. We're not going to put her to death. I just want to do the right thing, and I want to protect Mary in this case. Now, mind you, you have a teenage boy who's engaged to a woman who becomes pregnant, and she says, Joseph, I know it's not your son because we haven't been together, but I'm pregnant of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the confusion that would go through a guy's head? Say that one more time. You're pregnant, but you haven't had sex with anybody, and it's God's child that you're carrying. Right, okay. <laughs> Let me tell you how this is going to work, Mary. <laughs> We're going to divorce. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. We're not going to drag you out to the city square and stone you. I'm just going to put you away. I want to do the right thing here. By, but, but I can't be a part of this. And so Joseph made a decision to set his rights to the side for Mary's well-being. He made a decision. Hey, this isn't about me. This isn't about what happens to me. Can you imagine the questions that people would have had? Hey, Joseph, when, when are you and Mary getting, when's the big day for you guys? Oh, we're not getting married anymore. Really, what happened? Well, it's a long story. I'd really rather not get it. No, what's going on, Joseph? Joseph said, hey, I'm willing to set that to the side. I'm not gonna make a big deal about it because it's not about me. I wanna take care of other people. We can learn a lot from that. Joseph set his own rights away to the side. That's exactly what Jesus Christ himself would do for us. First John chapter four, verse number seven, and you know, it's beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, 
knoweth not God, for God is love. And this is manifested, the love of God towards us. How did God show his love towards us? Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. We were supposed to die, but Jesus came so that we could live. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the complete satisfactory payment, the covering for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. This is what love's all about. Love is about putting another person ahead of myself. That's what love is. On Sunday nights, we're going through the book of Galatians, and we're talking through the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about love and how love is not an emotion that we have. We get the idea that, well, I don't feel love towards that person. Love's not an emotion. Love is a choice that we make to put another person above myself, to esteem someone higher than I would esteem myself, to allow someone else to have their way as opposed to me having my way all the time to sacrifice of myself for the well-being of another person. And friend, we find that perfectly pictured in the life of Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus was. Jesus was love. He was the person who would put his needs to the side to meet the needs of other people. When he was tired, he would still continue to serve and love people. When he was frustrated, he would continue to serve and love people. When he was sad, he would continue to love and serve people. When it came down to him being crucified moments before he was arrested. He knelt in the garden and said, Father, there's another way this, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. God, if this is what you want, I'm willing to do it. And Jesus Christ went to the cross and he paid for my sin and he paid for yours, not because he had to, because he chose to, because of his love for you, because of his love for me. And Joseph himself was willing to set aside his own rights to be able to love and serve Mary through this difficult time. The interesting thing happened, verse number 20 says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. We see that Joseph here saw a dream. Now, it's important to note, God doesn't speak any longer through dreams and visions to us. God has spoke through his word. The Bible tells us that the word of God is complete. It gives us everything that we need, that in times past, God spoke through prophets. In times past, God spoke through dreams. But God speaks now definitively through his word, 100% of the time. So uh, sometimes people say, oh, I had a dream. What does that dream mean? Um, First of all, We're not dream interpreters. The Bible doesn't give us liberty to be dream interpreters. But I always say, if if your dream falls in line with what the Bible says, go for it, run with it. Uh, If your dream is in opposition to the Bible, cast it off as just uh, too much pepperoni pizza before bedtime, right? At the end of the day, dreams don't really amount to a whole lot. God's word amounts to everything. What does the Bible say? I've known people before who says, oh, I had a dream that I'm supposed to leave my spouse. <laughs> That's not of God. That is not biblical. Toss that out. Uh, that is not something you can guide your life by. And again, we can't guide ourselves by subjective dreams. I, I worry with churches and with pastors who lead their congregation by dreams. I had a vision last night that God wants us to plant 75 churches by uh, the end of this year. <laughs> okay. Where can we find that in Scripture? 
I had a dream last night that we're supposed to you know, sell all that we have and give everything that we have to the poor. Okay, let's take a look at what that says from Scripture. We have to allow the Word of God to guide us, not dreams or visions or anything else like that. But in this case here, know this. The Word of God was not complete. Again, I told you at the beginning of the message, 400 years since God had directly spoken to anybody. But now God speaks to Joseph through a dream because Joseph didn't have the Bible. And God says to Joseph, Joseph, it's okay. The child that Mary's carrying is mine. She was conceived of the Holy Spirit. I want you to take her as your wife, love that kid, raise him, call his name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. How does that apply to you and I since we don't not governed by dreams and visions? First of all, we must keep our hearts in tune with the word of God. Keep your heart in tune with what the Bible says. Psalm 119.24, thy testimonies are my delight and my counselors. I want the Bible to always guide what I do. The Bible has the answer for everything in life. Just know that. And people say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about this. It might not give a chapter and verse against something, but there's definitely a principle that could be applied. (laughs) I know Christians who are now saying things like, well, since marijuana is legal in so many states, it's okay for Christians to use it because it's not against the law. (laughs) I don't think so. Well, show me a chapter and a verse where it says, thou shalt not smoke a joint. (laughs) Well, there's not a chapter and a verse that says you can't smoke a joint. There's a lot of verses that say we should be sober-minded. A lot of verses that say we should be wise. Uh, A lot of verses that say that we're a picture of Jesus Christ to this world. And a lot of those principles that we have definitely apply to that particular situation. I can say on the authority of the Word of God, it's not wise or it's not biblical or it's not good. And it's a sin for Christians to smoke marijuana for recreational purposes. We're not talking about medicinal purposes, things along those lines. That's a story for another day. But I'm just saying the Bible has the answer for everything that you and I have questions for, always. But here's the problem with most Christians. They don't know what the Bible says, so they don't know how to live their life. Majority of Christians, this worries me. And as a pastor, it's my job to help you to be biblically wise. The majority of Christians are just winging it. Hey, let me give this a shot and see if it works out. If it doesn't, let me try something else. Hey, I'm gonna try this for a minute. If that doesn't work, I'm gonna go this route. And it's a trial and error. And friend, you don't have to do it trial and error. You know why? Because God's given us guidance and wisdom in his word to guide us along the path so that we don't have to go through life just trying to make better decisions. We can follow God with the assurance of his word. God's word is good. And the psalmist says, God's word is my delight, but it's also my counselor. First thing I want to know, what does the Bible have to say about this? How do I handle this according to Scripture? I have to make sure that my mind, I want to help you with something this morning. Whatever comes in your eyes and comes in your ears automatically goes to your mind, and then from there it goes to your heart. And the Bible says, keep your heart, protect your heart with all diligence, because out of it are the issues of life. Your life is governed by your heart. That's why the Bible says you gotta protect it. At all costs, protect your heart. So I gotta be careful with the things that I hear, the things that I see, the things that I think, because all those things go to my heart. That's why I need the word of God to protect my heart and my mind. That's why as a Bible-believing Christian, I have to reject the media of this world that causes my heart and my mind to become corrupt. 
I gotta be careful of the type of music that I listen to. I gotta be careful of the type of movies that I watch. I gotta be careful of the type of television that I enjoy. I gotta be careful with the places that I go on the internet. I have to be careful with the types of people that I spend time with. I gotta be careful with the type of events that I go to. And I gotta be careful with what I allow into my mind and into my heart. Not only that, but I'm a husband. And as a husband, the Bible tells me in Ephesians chapter five, I am the head of my home. Now that's not a position of authority where I get to be the boss or I get to call the shots. That means I'm the protector provider for my home. So you know what that means? That means not only do I have to protect my heart because if I'm not protecting my heart, I leave other people at risk. That means I have to protect my heart, but I also have to protect my wife's heart. How do I do that? By making sure that my head and my heart are in tune with the word of God. Because I gotta protect my wife now. I gotta make sure that the things that are going into her head and her heart are things that are, are godly, edifying, uplifting, good for her. So I have to protect my head and my heart. I have to protect her head and her heart. And oh, if you've got children, oh, now it's our job not only to protect our own heads and hearts, but to protect the heads and hearts of our children. Oh man, that's a full-time job. Let me just tell you this, that doesn't stop when your kids turn 18 and they walk across the stage and they move the tassel from one side to the other and you go, whoo, 18 years of that, I'm done, praise God. No, 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 you're just getting started. You have a lifetime of influence. And you might be sitting here saying, hey, I got a wife, I got no kids, I think I'm in the clear. No, you're not. Because you have to protect your head and your heart because you are laying a foundation for the rest of your life. And if you're a single adult, let me just tell you this. If you're a teenager, let me tell you this. You have the ability in the stage of life that you're in right now to make decisions that will completely ruin the rest of your life. Ruin the rest of your life. Don't blow it. You go, oh no, how do I make sure I don't mess up my life? Keep your head and your heart in tune with the word of God. You gotta know what the Bible says so that you can live by it. How do you know what the Bible says? Spend time in it, become a scholar of the word of God, be a student of the word of God. Uh, dads, Fathers, husbands, if you are a dad or a husband, it is your job to be the theologian for your home. You need to know the Bible like nobody else in your house does. When they get questions, say, I don't know, you should ask your dad. You say, well, I don't know that. Then get on it, simple as that. That's why we place such a high importance on discipleship here at this church because you need to know what the Bible says so that you can follow what the Bible says so you can be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. But Joseph kept his heart in tune with what God had told him in this vision. He took God at his word. Secondly, we see that we must be willing to take God at his word. You see verse number 21, he shall bring forth a son that shall call his name Jesus and they shall save his people from their sins. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted as God with us. Hey, there was a prophecy that said this was gonna happen. Here it is. In verse 24, then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Now, I think most of us, if we said, if God came to me in a dream and I was certain that it was God speaking to me and he told me to do something in a dream and I woke up, I think I'd do it. Most of you, right? If God audibly said to you today, 
Anthony, I want you to go down to Safeway and hand an invitation to church out to the first person that you see. You'd be like, oh, I heard that word. I'm going to go to Safeway. I'm going to get an invitation. The first guy that I see, I'm going to hand it to him, right? I think most of us, if we heard God say, I want you to take your family to Africa on a one-week mission trip this summer and do as much good as you can, I think all of us would say, I'm going to do that because we heard it directly from God. We heard it in a dream. We're certain God wants us to do it. So we would look at this story and say, well, Joseph had a dream. Of course, he's going to get up and do it. But how often do you and I violate God's word that's written to us in black and white because it's convenient for us? The Bible says that we should gather together to worship God as much as we can, even so much more as we see the day that Christ returns coming to us. We should get together on a regular basis and worship God together. But how many of you this morning, you woke up and you heard raindrops outside and you thought twice about whether or not you're gonna come to church today? You're like, not me, good for you. Because I thought about it. (laughs) I, I thought, it'd be such a nice day to sleep in. I thought it. But God's spoken clearly in his word that I shouldn't do that. God's spoken clearly in his word that I shouldn't put my own comfort above his glory, but yet that becomes a toss-up for us sometimes when it rains. Friend, you'll never be disappointed with obedience to the word of God, ever. Joseph got up and he just did what God told him to do. You know what you and I need to do tomorrow morning? You need to just get up and do what God told you to do. It might be difficult. Can you imagine for Joseph... Couple of teenage kids engaged. His wife-to-be gets pregnant. Wasn't his. Virgin birth. And he's got to tell everybody, hey, Mary's pregnant, but it's not mine. And she hasn't been with any other guys. It's actually the Lord. It's actually the Messiah. Oh, the Christ child that's been prophesied for thousands of years. (laughs) Your teenage girlfriend's carrying it, and you guys haven't had sex. Right. Can you imagine? But Joseph says, you know what? I'm going to do that because God told me to. And Joseph set his own rights to the side again. First time he would have been fully right to put her away or divorce her. But now he's setting aside his rights to have a, quote, normal engagement, a normal marriage. He sets that to the side. You know why? Because he wanted to obey what God's told him. Obedience is an act of worship. The word worship means to ascribe worth to. That means this item is worthy to me. And the Bible tells us that God alone is worthy of our worship. But unfortunately, you and I create idols in our life that we worship instead of God. An idol is anything that we would put place of the worth that God deserves. And we place it above that, that becomes an idol. And while we don't create statues that we bow down to in our house or we as Bible-believing Christians don't leave food out to statues or burn candles or anything like that, give flowers to, to statues, you and I often place things of higher importance than we do the things of God. Whether it be money or status or what people think of us or relationships, we place those things above God. There's sinful things that we put in place of God. But worship is saying, no, 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 God is in the top slot of my life. He's number one. And obedience proves that. That means God's number one. When you choose to disobey God, you're actually saying God's word doesn't matter. God's not number one in my life. I am. 
And when you rearrange your belief system to be convenient for you and the types of things that you deem important as opposed to what God deems important, friend, let me help you with this. God is no longer God, you are. That's a dangerous place to be. When I just wanna do what I wanna do. Again, I've known Christians before who say, I know what the Bible says, but, but that doesn't apply to my situation. Again, I, I say this probably at least two dozen times a year, but I'll say it again. Anytime you say, I know what the Bible says, but, just stop yourself right there because you're gonna make one of the most foolish statements that a person could ever make. I'm gonna take it one step further. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I know what the Bible says, but that doesn't apply to my situation. Eh, wrong answer. I know what the Bible says, but that was written a long time ago. Eh, wrong answer. I know what the Bible says, but my situation is a little bit different. Wrong answer. And when you create a belief system where you'll take what God says as long as it's convenient for you, and then you're gonna mix that with what you think you really want out of life and create a, a mashup of some belief system. Friends, that's not Bible-believing Christianity. You are the God of your own religion. And God doesn't want any part of that. Obedience is worship. I believe what God says, and it might be difficult. It might be awkward. People might make fun of me. It might not be popular, but I choose to put God first. I have family members who have told me that I'm a prude because I don't let my kids watch R-rated movies. Hey, I don't let my kids watch R-rated movies because I don't watch R-rated movies. If a group of unsaved people could get together and figure out that this particular uh, movie has too much violence, sex, and filthy language, unsaved people can deem that. I don't know that Christians should be watching stuff like that. So people say, well, you're such a prude. No, I just want to protect my head and my heart so it's in tune with the word of God so that I can be obedient to the word of God. You know why? Because that's an act of worship to God. You cannot worship God when you're in violation to his word. It just doesn't work that way. Obedience is proof of our love for God. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You say you love God, then obey him. And friend, if you're fooling around with sin, you choose to rebel against the word of God, you don't love God. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be honest with you. Obedience is proof of your love for God. If you're not willing to obey God or you don't want to obey God, you don't love him the way the Bible commands you to. Love is a choice to put someone above yourself. If I love God, I'm putting God before myself as an act of worship, as an act of love, as an act of obedience. I put him first. I'm thankful that Joseph wasn't all about himself. He was all about the glory of God. And when we sacrifice, we sacrifice for the glory of God. <laughs> Joseph was willing to set aside his own pride, his own priorities, his own plan. He set all that aside because he wanted to, to follow God for the glory of God. And what an amazing story. Joseph got to be the earthly father. Joseph got to be, I don't think it's wrong to say this, Joseph got to be the stepfather for Jesus. He got to be a father figure in the life of Christ. Why? Because he was obedient. Can you imagine? Joseph, if he wanted to, could have divorced Mary, could have left her as a single mom if he had chosen to. 
That would have definitely been easier for Joseph. Can you imagine as, for those of you that have had children, as you see the birth process as messy and beautiful as it is all at the same time, and you're able to hold your own child and you look at it and you think to yourself, this is me, this is, this is me. This is like me and my spouse together made this beautiful little creation that's gonna terrorize us for the rest of our lives. But that moment where you say, oh, wow, this is the two of us made this. This is incredible. Joseph didn't get that moment. And he was okay with it. As he held that child, he no doubt looked at it with love and appreciation, knowing that he got to be a part of something special. He set himself to the side for a minute and looked at the glory of God. And you and I, we can set ourselves aside for a minute and focus on the glory of God, we'll be much better off. It's not about what I get out of this life. It's about what I can give for this life. It's not about how people can serve me in this life. It's how I can serve other people in this life. It's not about how I can have my own way in this life. It's about how God can have his way through my life. That changes perspective on everything. And when you and I sacrifice, it's the glory of God. Martin Luther once said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Think about that for a minute. If you have a faith that you hold so deeply and so near and dear to you, but you don't sacrifice for it, it doesn't cost you anything, it doesn't really change your life that much, you don't really have a faith that's worth a whole lot. For Angel and I, we made a decision probably almost 20 years ago now that we would place Jesus Christ at the center of our life and everything else in our life would be built around that. Jesus was number one. Everything else took a backseat to that. And when Jesus becomes the center of your life, the friends that you have are friends that draw you closer to Jesus. The types of entertainment you enjoy draws you closer to Jesus. The type of activities you're involved in draws you closer to Jesus. The work that you do, you should well, I'm a, I'm a cashier. I'm a, I bag groceries for the, hey, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God and that can draw you closer to God. Or maybe this, you can see your work as an opportunity to be a witness to other people. But through your job that you do, while you might see it as meaningless or menial, it's your opportunity to bring people to Jesus Christ and then everything's connected to Jesus. Several years ago, our son Vanderlei was homeschooled at the time. We wanted him to play basketball. The only basketball leagues that they had in, in Honolulu had practice on Saturday, games on Sunday. And you know what decision we made as a family? I'm not gonna play basketball, son. What? Like, not at all? No, not at all. You know why? Because Jesus is the center of our life, not basketball. For many people, their kids are the center of their life. And Jesus is just one of the extensions over here that they do. No, no, no. When you do that and your kids become the center of your life, one of these days your kids are gonna move out and you have no center of your life anymore. But Jesus is always there. Put him as the center of your life and build off of that. You'll never be disappointed. And for me, if you took my faith away from me, I'll be honest with you, I got nothing left. Without Jesus Christ, I am completely and totally bankrupt on every level because I've built my life around it. You say, that's a terrible place to be. That's the most peaceful place in the world that one could ever possibly live because Jesus Christ is all that I have, but Jesus Christ is all that I need. 
I've built my life around something that the Bible says will never fail me and never disappoint me. Does that mean that you won't have challenges in life? No, no, no. We, we covered 13 weeks of that already. Does that mean hard times won't come? No, 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 no. They're coming. But my rock in the middle of the storm is what I built my life on. He's promised to never fail me. This Christmas season, I hope you, I hope you get some good deals. I really do. I hope you don't go into credit card debt because it's a trap. I hope you don't buy things you can't afford because it's a trap. I hope you don't try to buy people's stuff so out of status. It's a trap. I hope you get together with friends. I hope you have some good meals. I hope you sing some Christmas songs. But I hope you remember that Christmas is not about what I get. It's about what I give. Christmas is not about me and my kids and my family and my happiness. Christmas is about Jesus and all that he's done for me. And I'm shocked that in the world that we live in today that is, that is blatantly, blatantly anti-Christ. Our society today is an anti-Christ society. They're against Jesus on every level. When you're walking through the mall, you know what you're gonna hear this Christmas season? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Hey, you, you rip out Jesus out of Christmas music, you got like 10 songs left. And it's like, all I want for Christmas is you. You'll hear a million and one times, right? But you know what? You'll hear, and I want you to stop it and thank God for it. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and all of nature sings. Think about that. Joy to the world. Because this Christmas season is not about what I get, it's about what I can give. It's not about me and my happiness, it's about the glory of God and what he has given to us through Jesus. Most important thing in the entire world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that heaven is your home, do not leave here tonight, this morning, without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home. Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross to pay for your sins. It's the greatest gift you could ever receive at Christmas. And if you're here today and you've never received the gift of Jesus Christ, don't leave here today until you know for sure your sins are forgiven. But for those of us that know Christ as Savior, this is the greatest season to give the greatest gift that's ever been given. Take that invitation to church, hand it out to somebody, invite somebody to church, take a plate of cookies to your neighbor, invite them to our Christmas Eve services, take the opportunity to, to give during this Christmas season. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.